This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver, it's ski season again. And between the traffic, the crowds, the billions of dollars, and the impact on the environment... The ups and downs of the ski industry affect us all. So as the resorts race to open for the winter, we've got the ultimate insider on today. Luis Benitez was the youngest person ever elected to town council in Eagle, a former exec at the apparel giant VF Corp, the current chief impact officer at the Trust for Public Land, and he's got hot takes on the big topics in ski country this winter. Today is Monday, November 6th. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Luis Benitez, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I've been uh, looking forward to this. You know, long-time listener, first-time caller. Really oh, excited. Oh, man. I love hearing that. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so, Luis, I want to um, clear the air, actually, about okay. something before we before we really start. I'm not a skier. Many of our listeners here in Denver don't ski, yeah. although it's huge here. Why Why does the ski industry matter for us, non-skiing Coloradans? Boy, if you, if you look through the lens of everything from where we get our water to not only how we recreate the health of our forests, um, you really have to take a look through multiple lenses to really understand just how important um, that industry is from a climate lens. Um, but also, you also have to think about the economic health of a lot of our um, small mountain towns, our rural communities. So, you know, while skiing or snowboarding or just playing in snow may not matter to you from an athletic endeavor perspective, I think you have to look at it holistically um, from everything due to the economic health of, of our state, um, all the way down to um, the environmental health of our communities. Hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's good enough for me. Let's, let's get into it. You said um, it's important to look from multiple lenses. That's kind of why you're here. That's your whole specialty. You've been in the private sector. <laughs> you were in government. Now you're working for an NGO. So let's, let's talk about some of these hot topics from different perspectives. And I think the big one we should start with is growth. Yes. Uh, because I've seen the data on these epic and icon passes, Luis. The numbers seem to only go up. Um, but this is what I want to ask you about. The Denver Business Journal quoted a ski resort executive saying recently, quote, we believe that if we continue to invest, people will continue to come and the business will continue to grow, said Jared Smith, CEO of Altera Mountain Company in an email. So right now we're still in what I would call a disproportionate investment cycle. Mm, big words, yeah. right? What does that mean to you? You know, I think the thing to think about when you, when you make a proposition like what you just described um, out there in the marketplace is to recognize that the past product, if you will, how to get access to mm-hmm. to a mountain. Um, obviously, yes, the the gear price point is a is a barrier to entry. Um, a lift ticket price is a barrier to entry. But if you look at the hockey stick curve of the evolution of that price point over the last ten years, 
you'll see a lot of that consolidation that companies like Altera and Vail Resorts have gone through. So, so you're saying that the, the passes themselves, mm -hmm. they're costing more and more mm -hmm. because the different resort companies are offering more because you can go to more resorts on each pass. Well, that and I would argue that that consolidation for for a hot minute there re resulted in, in a drop in prices. So I think the value proposition that the companies are bringing forward are, hey, if you get this thing that's really expensive, mm -hmm. depending on where you are, you get to ski in all of these places. So if you think if I live in... Uh, let's say Michigan, and my home mountain is Boyne Mountain, small small little mountain in mm -hmm. Michigan. Um, but I take a family road trip every year to come ski at Keystone. That one pass works in my home mountain in Michigan now and also gets me a week um, here in the mountains in Colorado. Right. So they have this like really key innovation, these passes mm -hmm. that have been so huge. Um, but I, I got to be honest, this this quote made me so skeptical. Like anyone, anyone talks about a market only going up. I just mm. think that's not how markets work. Like, why are they so sure? <laughs> well, I'm going to point to that. I'll just use the example of traffic on I-70. Um, and you think it's bad in the winter. Do you know? Here's a little pop quiz for you, okay, for, for all your listeners. Yeah. Um, there's more traffic on I-70 in the summer than there is in the winter. Is that true? Yep. 100% true. You can dig into CDOT's website and, uh, and and get the facts. So while skiing is huge, I think the reason why I share that is outdoor recreation, period. Hands down, writ large. Um, people will continue to try to find ways to engage in these spaces. And honestly, I think the pandemic is the, is the moment in time for us socially and culturally that seeded this part. Um, spending out time, time outside is good for you. And trying new things and having an adventure, um, either as an individual or with friends or with family, um, people tend to come here more and more because they want what we have. They, they want a little piece of that experience. Um, and so while it might be something in the winter, or according to CDOT, there's also a whole lot of stuff that happens up there in the summer due, due to the traffic patterns, um, you know, the, the market does continue to stay pretty robust, even through times of economic downturn. So when you ask why that is, you know, I think you can part point to a bunch of different things, but I think it, it, when it really comes down to it, um, there's something to be said for just getting out in nature and wiggling your toes and, and having a moment. They just they just have a good product. And yeah. People want it. Yep. People are going to want it. Yep. Um, okay. Well, ongoing growth. That's the big picture then. But there are some challenges that the ski industry is facing this year. Um, I see two big ones. One is labor. Mm. Ski patrollers yes. uh, seem to be increasingly unionizing. It happened at Loveland last season and the Colorado Sun recently reported that uh, Eldora. Patrollers are uh, organizing at Eldora now. Why is this happening? Have you ever utilized an ambulance service sure. or emergency medical mm -hmm. services? Okay. You have to think of ski patrollers as somebody that shows up with a portable ambulance and, and can take care of you effectively, um, regardless of, of what the medical emergency is. Um, oftentimes being skilled enough to not only get you down the mountain by human power, but also have the sophistication to call in a helicopter if needed um, and to work on you at a very, very high level. So when you look at the the different levels of staffing and the different jobs at any ski resort at any one given time, I, I would argue, um, based on my own personal experience, that patrollers are at the top of the food chain. And when you look at their pay scale and you look at some of the, the things that they do um, in their universe um, compared to some of the other jobs and, and, and how those things equate, I think that's really where the conversation started with is becoming unionized the right move in that space. And I think that's why you're seeing the conversation originate 
with that group, unlike, um, say, lift operators or ski instructors um, and, and some of the other divisions within within the space. Because they happen to have a very specific set of skills yes. on top of being expert skiers. Yes. Okay. 100%. Interesting. But this this labor question, it is, it is happening not just with patrollers. It is a big picture question. I mean, we always are hearing about workers who are struggling to find housing near these resorts and like trying to make this lifestyle work. How, how do the ski resorts look at that? How do the operators think about that? You know, before I went to work for uh, governor, then governor, now senator, I guess, Hickenlooper, um, overseeing the outdoor industry office, um, I lived in Eagle, Colorado, which is right up the road from Beaver Creek and Vail. So I lived in, in Eagle, in you know Eagle County, in, in the Eagle Valley. And my town was very much a bedroom community um, for people that worked within the industry because it was down, down valley, quote unquote. It was more affordable. And you really need to understand how you think creatively about whether you're going to live in a resort or are you going to live outside the resort? And what I try to tell people all the time is, I don't know about you, but there's not a whole there's not a whole lot of pieces of me personally that would choose to live right in the middle of Disneyland or Disney World. I think I'd get tired of seeing Mickey Mouse every day when I walked to to get my coffee. I'd probably want to live outside the park. Yeah. And I think the push pull for a workforce in a lot of these communities are: Do you have to live right at Ground Zero um, at the resort, or can you live up or down Valley? And if so, how does the local community show up to support that infrastructure? And at times. You know, the challenging conversations are as much about housing as they are about transportation. When I lived in Eagle, I served on Eagle's Town Council, hmm. and we had many, many arguments and conversations about how do we get the bus services to continue to have more drop-off and pickup times to serve employees that would live all the way out in our town to ensure they got to and from work on time. Hmm. So I think when you think about the wait, housing wait, let's issue- Let's talk about that a little bit more. Sure. The resort, what are the, what are the resort operators? What's their voice in that conversation say? They're, they are definitely at the table. And I think they, you know, just despite what the popular opinion may be out there, they want to see these issues solved just as much as, as I think the average employee does. I think the reason why it's, it's a challenging conversation with respect to workforce housing, you know, where do we put it in the middle of Disneyland, if you will, where does, where does the apartment build Building go if you're talking about parking it in the middle of the resort um, versus down or up valley. You know, a lot of those concerns, you know, I, I know that the the resort companies and the, and the ski companies feel it. They feel hmm. it too. And they, I think they try to show up in the best way possible. I think the larger question that you're getting to is, well, whose responsibility is it? Is it the municipalities? Yeah. Is it the company? Should, Great the, question. should yeah. the company pay for this or should it be a collective partnership with town? So the last example I'll give you, and I'll, I'll never forget this because in, in my mind, it was one of the aha moments. Um, Eagle had a couple of hotels on I-70 that were mm -hmm. You know, 50% occupancy, they never really quite filled up even during ski season. It was a lot mm. of folks that wanted more affordable lodging would come down and stay with us and then they'd go ski up valley during mm -hmm. the day, which, you know, pretty usual. That's kind of the formula that a lot of people take when they move here. Um, Vail Resorts, Vail and Beaver Creek specifically at that, that year were overrun. They just didn't have enough housing. They, they couldn't figure it out. And Town council got together one night and proposed, um, this was with a hotel that had um, embedded kitchens in, in the hotel. So it was a suite. So you could actually live there in kind of a mini apartment. How about we sublet a wing of a hotel 
to the ski company, ensure that the bus lines show up with the right number of pickup and pickups and drop-offs. And we turn a little segment of one of our hotels into effectively employee housing. Now you had a bunch of citizens were oh, all these people that from all over the place and they're not mm-hmm. really members of our community. It's gonna be awful. And it's sort of that not in my backyard mentality. Oh, I'm right? familiar. Which you yeah. see, you hear a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And I stood up and made the argument, I guarantee that the tax revenue at the bowling alley, the pizza shop, all the restaurants on that side of town were going to skyrocket and that the people that had an opportunity to live there would make our town their town. And so it was kind of an experiment and that's exactly what happened. Really? Yeah, yeah, that, you know, I see that still as a win for thinking creatively about the issue that you're bringing forward. I don't think that it needs to be a binary solution of all or nothing, the company pays or nothing happens, we gotta build it here or it's just no good. I think communities up and down those valleys need to think about it as, yeah, in my backyard. And not only in my backyard, we are them and they are us. And I say that tongue in cheek, um, you know, I, I was that kid. I was that 19 really? year old kid living out of the back of my pickup truck, um, trying to figure out where to park it, stay warm, brush my teeth, take a shower. <laughs> um, you know, I lived through that culture. And the only reason why I survived is because people that did it before me saw me, recognized, not looking at me as a threat, but saying, okay, all right, well, here's the next generation parking mm. parking in the Walmart parking lot. And I've got to figure out how to, how to help them out, how to help them find their way. And I think somewhere along the way, we lost that. And I think the best of us as Coloradans, when we choose to engage in that way, that in my mind really is the magic of us and the magic of this conversation, frankly. Hmm. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. I want to talk about Governor Jared Polis, his proposal last legislative session. This was his big big project last year. He's still working on it, even though they all, everyone said no. Um, but he wanted to, to make this big push for housing density and upzoning urban areas to, to allow for more development, more building in our, in our urban areas. The very first concession he made was for ski towns back during the last legislative session. So I assume the resorts or maybe the towns pushed back on his proposal to densify. What, what, what do you think is the role for government there? And like, What's the way forward? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And, you know, I say a lot that I think 
that real strong momentum and and opportunities come at the state level. Like you, when you get into it the way Governor Polis tried to um, and continues to try to, frankly, mm-hmm. um, that's where real change comes from. That's where real change can happen. And I think, you know, when you talk about the concession to to a lot of the resort communities, I, I think a part of it was what we were just talking about, not in my backyard. I don't know if I want this right yeah, here. Do it down Valley. I, I don't want to live, you know, I want employee housing across the street um, because of, of what that, what that entails. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when somebody says, to your point, your exact point, do it down Valley. My comment from being one of those people that lived down Valley, heck yeah, bring it. Really? Absolutely. Let's build it. And the reason why, look at it through the lens of economic development and look at it through the lens of encouraging the next generation to move to town and engage. Um, and, and that's your, your next gen of workforce. So let's say uh, let's say I'm Governor Polis. Um, give me some advice. For, I'm trying to push this bill again next session. What should I change <laughs> if I want to get the resort towns? Well, on first of all, Governor Polis, thank you for your efforts. My, um, my your, pleasure. Your thank beard's you. looking really good these days. Appreciate um, that. Um, you know what I would say is exactly what we just talked about. I, I'd say recognize that there are towns up and down Valley um, that would welcome this because it would it would bring um, youth and vitality to town and it would also deliver on an opportunity of economic development. And at the end of the day, you're talking about a tax base, a larger tax base. And that larger tax base provides for social services. And so, you know, the, the resorts are no longer seasonal entities that, that empty out, clear out, go back to my traffic comment, more traffic in the summer mm-hmm. than there is in the winter. These folks move and if they can find housing and they can find a community, they stay. Oh, interesting. Is that why the resorts are so interested in these summer oh, activities that I keep hearing about? Better like the, believe it. I saw a Ninja Warrior course 100%. at Copper Mountain. Well, why don't, there was a, oh gosh, I'm going to admit this out loud to your listening audience. I did a Tough Mudder at Beaver Creek before Tough, remember what the Tough Mudder of thing course, was? Yeah. You ran through a pile of mud and mm-hmm. swung from a rope and ran up a hill. And mm-hmm. it was the funnest three hours of my time on that mountain, other than skiing at that time in hmm. my life. And so, yes, the resorts do you have robust summer activities. So this workforce that you're talking about finding a home for is not seasonal. These are the folks that are moving to town and end up raising families. And and if again, if they can find it, if they can find their spot, they stay. I can see how that would be a win-win for the resorts, for the workers, for everybody. If, if the jobs can just be year round, yep. then it's not so big of a, a struggle. And when you talk, you know, reflecting back on you talk about who's responsible for what. Right. Yeah. I would argue that the resorts, yeah, they're responsible for creating year round work and that year round work, um, you know, showing up through activities, the, the ninja courses, the mountain biking, the fly fishing, the rafting, all the different pieces that go on. Um, these folks, these folks stay. Hmm. Um, let's move on to the other uh, challenge I see to the ski industry, and that is climate change. Um, so I'm going to give you another quote. This one's from 5280 Magazine, um, a quote from Aspen Skiing Company's Senior Vice President of Sustainability, Auden Schendler, who says, the threat is extreme. Without drastic changes, I believe the ski industry will look radically different in 50 years. There will still be skiing to be had, but it will be scarce. Um to that end, in 2019, the four largest North American ski companies banded together to create the Mountain Collaborative of Climate Action. Under its umbrella, they've pledged to become carbon neutral by 2030 and, quote, advocate for climate action through federal, state, and local policies, among other vague goals. Critics have panned the effort as a public relations stunt lacking any real teeth. 
Yeah. What do you think? Are they taking it serious? Well, I got I got to share some some personal anecdotes about uh, Auden Schindler first. Auden Please. and I were outward bound instructors together in our twenties oh. here in Colorado. Cool. And that that man has um, some of the most uh, spectacular calves you will ever find <laughs> in a skier or a mountaineer. Sorry, Auden, if you're listening or if you. Um, somebody stops you randomly on the street. Um, I'm calling out your legs, buddy. Um, and the reason why I share this is that, you know, Auden's not, you know, by nature, somebody that that wants to show up and, and cause trouble just to cause trouble. He, I share that story be, to illustrate the fact that he's been part of the outdoor industry um, from his youth, like me. Sure. And, and he cares about these things. So mm-hmm. when he says it's dire, um, that's coming from someone that's lived it, seen it, been a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing I would argue with respect to, to climate initiatives and, and the ski industry, um, and this is in full transparency, I sit on a board of an organization called Protect Our Winners. Um, their sole function and purpose is to ask some of these larger fundamental questions that you're, you're positioning with respect to climate and, mm-hmm. and the industry. Mm-hmm. You know, when you really look at it through the lens of not just sliding on snow, you're talking about water. And if you think of this just through the lens of what happens to that snow when it's gone, how does it show up? How is it stored? Is it part of a watershed? Um, do communities use it for drinking water? Um, what does that look like? You know, the call that Auden's making um, beyond the the industry is, okay, so we slide on snow. We, we show up with the visibility. We can provide a platform to talk about some of these things in more than just a scientific way. I don't know if you've ever been to a climate summit, but uh, you know, there are times when I find myself nodding off and mm-hmm. getting really perplexed by the science. Okay, yeah. When you talk about it through the lens of a ski mountain and okay, it's pretty binary. Uh, climate change, no more snow. Uh, we fix it, snow. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, and I think the argument, the direness of Auden's warning um, comes from if you look at stories originating from Europe, and I would argue a couple mountains in, in the Northeast in the United States, there are mountains, ski mountains with infrastructure on them that no longer are able to function because they're just not getting the volume of snow that they need. Now, um, the, the the futility of the ski industry thinking that they can change that um, on their own, of course they can. And I think they know that. But what I think they're trying to do, and I would argue through the lens of POW and other organizations doing really well, is showing up and saying, we have this really fun, sexy platform that we can elevate this conversation, not just about the science, but if you care about water, if you care about community, and if you care about outdoor equitable access to outdoor activity, then we're going to help you drive that conversation forward. With power, you, that's protect our winters, yep. the board you're on? Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you've got Auden's warning that combines with organizations like POW making the conversation a little bit more digestible with the backup of the resort saying, we fund communities' ec- economy, a community's economy. Some of these, this is rural economic development, plain and simple. This goes away that economy starts to collapse. Well, I, I'm going to be honest. I fully do not understand what you're talking about. <laughs> I feel like we've talked about how the ski industry is growing by leaps and bounds mm-hmm. and they're hiring people and they're st- setting up platforms. But I don't understand how the growth of industry, which just uses more stuff and takes mm-hmm. up more land, can ever have a positive impact on climate. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, that, that you just illustrated the entire problem. I don't think with just skiing with, with everything, um, in the outdoor industry, 
the I think the push pull right now within the industry is that you hear all the time about how well the pandemic said everybody go outside. Time outside's good for you. Yeah. And everybody did. But then now you have the industry turning around turning around and saying, Oh my gosh, our infrastructure has just been beaten into the ground. Our, hmm. our trails are in poor condition. Um, to your point about the ski industry, more people are showing up to ski, um, but yet they're having staffing issues, which tie to housing. So, you know, it's it's very holistically integrated with all the different segments of the economy and the industry. Um, so your point about, I just don't get it. Like thing, things are showing up more, it's getting bigger and bigger. Um, so why isn't the help showing up with the growth in size? Yeah. Well, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so the way I answer that, um, and this is sort of a piece that I've been working on pretty pretty diligently in the last six months, um, you know, when you look at the economic numbers of the outdoor industry holistically, we're, we're in the hundreds of billions of dollars in consumer spending. And if you believe the Bureau of Economic Analysis, whose numbers are going to come out in November, we're on the threshold of becoming a trillion dollar economy in the United States. Hmm. That's including skiing and everything else that we're talking about. Um, responsible for um, almost 5 million American jobs. So that's, that's a lot. And Colorado has a significant portion of that. And so when you talk about, I don't get it, all this stuff is happening, it's big, it's huge, but all these other pieces aren't improving with it. Um, my argument is for as large of, us an of an economy as we are, for as many jobs as we're responsible for, our political voice has not kept pace with that growth. So any other economy in the United States, when you think of the auto industry, when you think of the pharmaceutical industry, when you think of any other economic engine within the United States that has to find a, me a political mechanism for self-preservation, um, we tend to show up at these conversations on the backs of nonprofit organizations like POW um, and, and TPL and others. We tend to just let them take care of that larger dialogue. Now, does the private sector support those initiatives? Absolutely, they do. But yet I think the journey now in Washington, D.C. is, is it time to create a federal office for the outdoor recreation industry to start serving this, this disconnect that you're talking about? There's a ton of growth. There's a ton of money. It represents a ton of jobs. Um, and so our voice needs to match the size of that economy. Well, uh, Luis Benitez, I wish you a lot of luck with that. I'm going to be uh, interested to follow your work and, and see what happens. And thank you so much for joining me on the show. How about we go skiing? Yeah, maybe. All right, 50-50. <laughs> Thanks for having me. After I sat down with Luis, the fact-checking squad here at CityCast Denver went to work. It turns out Luis was absolutely right about there being more traffic on I-70 in the summer than the winter, according to CDOT. Though with all the snow and the accidents, I personally still feel like it's much more of a pain in the ass in the winter. And on the question of Auden Schendler's calves, we have not been able to get any visual confirmation of how spectacular they may or may not be. We'll let you know when we know. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Aspen Skiing Company's Senior Vice President of Sustainability, Auden Schendler, about us. Rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, and learn more about us, denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you then. Tell Auden, tell Auden Schindler's personal trainer about us. 
what's what's your routine bro 